Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burgoon campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Father, we come before you this morning with thankfulness in our heart. We're grateful for so much today, Jesus. We're grateful for the wonderful group of people that you've brought together that make this church. We're grateful for Simon and Sue and their work in and amongst us, the blessing they've been to us. We're grateful for the cross because without, without the cross, without what it is that you've done for us, none of this would be here. We wouldn't be celebrating this this morning. And so we come, we have so much to be grateful for. We lift up the name of Jesus in this place. We give you the honor that is rightfully yours. And we pray that Jesus, that you would meet us here in a powerful way through your word and that you would teach us, that you would challenge us, but that you would lead us into life. And we know that's who you are and even on some of the most difficult of topics, we know that you are for us and that your heart is always to give us joy, to lead us into life. And so we pray this morning, Jesus, we pray that as we come before your word and as we come that we would have open ears, soft hearts, and that we would receive whatever it is that you have for us this morning. We just pray that you'd lead us on and lead us into joy. This we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen, amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to church. Special welcome to everybody who's joining us online at the moment. I want to acknowledge you guys. We're really grateful for the technology that allows us to continue to connect in the midst of what is a bizarre time. So we really want to acknowledge you guys. Got your Bibles here today. I want to encourage you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to warn you that it is a meaty passage this morning. It's heavy. So if you're expecting that in Simon and Sue's last week that Nick would give us something light and joyous to look at, you were wrong. We're looking at sexual immorality today. That's how we're going to leave Simon and Sue, with sexual immorality. <laughs> it's going to be great. Don't worry about it. You guys would know that we're making our way through a series called Being Like Jesus. It's a particularly apt title with the topic that we're looking at today, especially when it comes to singleness and sexual purity. It really means something. And truth is that Jesus isn't calling us to something that he wasn't willing to do himself. He showed us what it means to live life to its absolute fullest. And he showed us the pinnacle of human existence, and he did it as a single celibate man. That's meaningful, and we're going to get back to that. But it is really meaningful. You know, the truth is that we live in a sexually confused and damaged world. When you turn on the TV, you go online, and it feels like our world is more lost when it comes to the issues of gender, sex, and sexuality than it has ever been before. And people are searching for answers. They're searching for a sense of identity and happiness, but the truth is they're lost, so lost. And here's what it means for us, church. We need to shine in this area. We need to take hold of our responsibility to live out God's plan for sex and relationships. To evidence his goodness to the world around us. There's a, a divine calling for the church in this. 
And yet the sad reality is that sexual sin is rife throughout the church, particularly amongst young people. And I really don't enjoy saying that, but it's true. And the stats around pornography of people in the church, not, not just for people out there, because we know that you know, it's rife out there, but the stats for pornography in the church are staggering. And it doesn't shock us anymore. It doesn't seem to bother us in the way that it should, but it bothers God. And maybe not for the reason that you're just thinking. He's not sitting there just waiting for us to fail, waiting to, to smite us. That's not the heart of God at all. He is for us. He loves us unconditionally. His mercies are new every day. And so it bothers him that this might be rife throughout the church and it might rob us of the fullness of life that he has for us. And there is a reason that God created our body. I don't know if you've ever sat back and actually thought about that. Like he could have created us like the angels, but he didn't. He gave us bodies. An angel is a spirit without a body. Human beings are a spirit with a body. And that's not an accident. It didn't really work in the realm of accidents. It's not something he does. It says to me that there's a plan and a purpose for our bodies. And the invitation this morning is just to allow God to rule and reign in every aspect of our lives, including our sexuality. And here's, here's the foundation of why you would even think to do this. It's because he's good. And his heart is to lead us into life. That's why we bend the knee to Jesus. That's why we say, come rule and reign in this aspect of my life. Because he's good. That's what we're looking at this morning. It is... It's going to be heavy, so buckle up. We're going to dive in together. Let's look at our passage together. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's going to be up on the screen for you, but I'd love for you to read along in your Bibles if you brought them today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. This is what Paul says. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered or enslaved, that word is, by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God or glorify God with your bodies. Amen. So we pick it up in verse 12 and the first thing that I want you to notice are the quotation marks that we see in the first couple of verses. 
See, Paul is referencing a letter that the Corinthian church had sent him so that he can unpack the liberal attitudes to sex and sexuality that underpin those statements. And what you have here is a group of Christians who were abusing the grace of God. They were using the freedom that they'd received in Christ to justify their sin. We're not bound by the law anymore. We're free in Christ. That's what they're saying. And in a sense, that's true. When Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died, that he fulfilled the law on our behalf, and in so doing, freed us from it. All of that is true, and we celebrate all of that. But they didn't understand the purpose of the law or the Father's heart behind it. They really didn't. And so it led them into all kinds of problems. The law isn't there to rob us of joy. It's there to lead us into it because that's the Father's heart. And that's why Paul says, and I want to use the ESV translation, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. He's saying, listen, what you're saying is true. We do stand in the grace of God. We are free, but that doesn't mean that sin is any less destructive or that it somehow lost its capacity to rob us of the freedom and the fullness of life that's ours in Christ. And we know that. And we experience that on a daily basis. You talk to somebody who's struggling with pornography and you can see the hold it has on them. It destroys relationships. It erodes trust and intimacy and security in a marriage. It just takes and takes and takes. That's why Jesus says, don't go there, that that I redeemed you for so much more than that. I like the way that William Barclay puts it. He says this, he says, the greatest fact of the Christian faith is not that it makes a a man free to sin, but that it makes a man free not to sin. I'll read that again because I screwed that up. The great fact of the Christian faith is not that it makes a man free to sin, but that it makes a man free not to sin because that's true freedom. And this is where Paul starts to unearth the underlying beliefs that are causing all of these issues for the Corinthian church. Verse 13, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food and God will destroy them both. Now that doesn't sound like anything. Let's be honest, we read that and go, okay, so what? But it's pointing us to a Greek philosophy known as Gnosticism. It's something that the early church grappled with again and again. And the basic teaching of Gnosticism is that everything that is material of flesh, including our bodies, is evil and temporary and as a result, meaningless. It doesn't matter. The core of who you are is spirit, a soul, and that's all that matters. There's a distinct separation of the physical from the spiritual. And so what happens over here actually doesn't matter for this over here. And you can understand how that could lead them into all kinds of problems. And yet guess what? It's alive and well today. It's still in our culture. You talk to people and you hear them say things like, it's just sex. What's the big deal? It doesn't mean anything. Just having a fun time. 
that our culture has reduced sex down to a purely physical act. And it's infiltrated the church as well. But it's a diminished view of the body that inevitably leads to a diminished view of holiness. And so Paul's response is to lift our eyes that we might see the divine purpose for our bodies. And it's not to say that in any way what he's not saying is that sex is dirty or evil or anything. He's not saying that. And yet the truth is that we were made for so much more. If that weren't true, then the hope of the gospel wouldn't include the redemption of our bodies. Think about that for a second. A part of the hope that we have in the gospel is what? Resurrected bodies. We might walk with the King of Kings in his presence for all eternity, where by the way, there is no sex. There's a right there that tells us that our bodies were created for something more than sex. We have an eternal purpose for our bodies. Food might be temporary, our stomachs might be temporary, sex might be temporary, but the Lord has eternal purposes for our bodies. Our bodies were meant for the Lord. That's what Paul says. Our bodies were meant for the Lord and the Lord for our bodies. Can you bring up verse 15 again? I forgot to bring a Bible with me. That's a bit of a mistake, isn't it? I want to go back and read verse 15. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in in body? For it is said the two shall become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one spirit with him. So we go back and we pick it up in verse 15, and, and Paul starts to unpack the eternal purpose that we just talked about. You've got to understand that all of this is built on the understanding that sex is so much more than just a physical act, a physical union. Genesis chapter 2 says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Which, by the way, if you didn't pick it up, it's talking about sex. That's what it means. They shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's talking about the intermingling of two persons. In other words, you're no longer just you. You've been joined so intimately to your spouse that you're not the same person you once were. And even as I look at my own marriage, I can see that. Now, I'm not a particularly compassionate person now, but you should have seen me before, Anna. Scary. Well, this is years of work. I know it doesn't look like much, but trust me, she's trying. Don't have a lot to work with, but gee, she's trying. You talk to anybody who's been married for a significant period of time, and they'll tell you, your spouse has an enormous impact on you. That's the beauty, the power of marriage, and that's what sex is supposed to mirror or reflect and then work into our souls, which means it's not meaningless. It's incredibly significant. It points to a much greater reality. So Paul is saying, and you understand the weight of that, how can you join yourself to a prostitute? It's not hyperbole, by the way. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
It's such an easy thing to skim over and not really appreciate it. But I love the way that Ray Ortland puts it. He says, we are physical extensions of Christ in the world today. Physical extensions of Christ in the world today. So our legs are the way that Jesus walks the streets of Perth today. Our hands are the way that Jesus reaches out to the lost and needy today. Our lips are the way that he speaks. Our compassion is an extension of his compassion. Our love is his love poured out on the world today. Think about that for a second. Think about the weight of that, the absolute privilege of that, but then also the responsibility of that. How could we, as the hands and feet of Jesus, join ourselves to something like that? It just feels icky. We know innately that it just, these things just don't go together. And when you think about everything that we've been given in Christ, it just compounds that feeling. Paul says that you and I have been joined to the Lord. In other words, believers here this morning, that we have become one spirit with him. That is with God. And that's what marriage is supposed to point to, by the way. That is that greater reality. But it's this picture of radical generosity. Jesus isn't holding anything back. All that I am, all that I have is yours. That's what it means to be in Christ. That what is rightfully his has been given and bestowed upon us. And Paul is saying that's what drives us towards holiness. See, it's one thing to try and make a stand against sin, and that's noble, that's good. It's a whole other thing to turn your back on it and run after something greater. That is so much more effective. You're not just saying no to something, you're actually drinking deep of something more, something greater. And everything that we have in Christ, the opportunity to walk in step with the King of Kings, to be in His presence, and the life that's found in His name, that is, that's something greater. Reminds me of a story Anna told me when I came home from work one day. Said was only a little boy, would have been about two maybe three, somewhere in there, and she was trying to take him to the park, which was his favorite thing to do. And he was holding on to a bunch of broken pencils because he'd been drawing, and that's what happens to pencils when you do, you just break everything, to be honest with you. So. And I obviously didn't want to bring him to the park with the broken pencils in his hand, so she was trying to convince him to drop the pencils. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I just want to go to the park. Will you drop the pencils, then we'll go to the park? And he just lost it. I don't know why, but in that moment, Seb was convinced that those pencils were the most important thing in the whole world. And he was going to drop them for anything. And the more that you ask me, the more I'm just going to double down. He's stubborn. What can I say? I don't know where he gets it from. <laughs> and I remember talking to Anna when I got home, and I remember how frustrated she was. He's talking to me, I'm just trying to take him to the park. It's his favorite thing to do. He loves the park. He would have had an amazing time. And he wouldn't let go of the stupid, broken pencils. And sometimes I think that's us. And I think Jesus has given us everything. 
His heart is always for us. He's there trying to lead us into a fullness of life and joy. And sometimes we miss out because we're just too busy holding on to these stupid, broken pencils. We just can't seem to let it go. And Paul was saying that God has so much more for you. So much more. Can you go back to verse 18 for me? Really should have brought a Bible. This is how he finishes. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. It's an imperative, so it's a command. It's the present continuous, so it's an ongoing thing. Flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, in light of everything that he just said, honor, glorify God with your bodies. When you get to verse 18, and off the back of everything that we've just talked about, Paul says, run. Not because it's the right thing to do, because someone else is watching. We're going to run because we believe that Jesus is for us. And that we're running into life and into joy as we run after him. And here's how we know that. We know that without a shadow of doubt because we remember that not all that long ago we were lost and without hope. And we were being crushed by the weight of our sin and yet Jesus did what we couldn't. He paid the price for our rebellion. He bought us back. That's how we know. When Paul says you're not your own, he means it. You didn't pay that price. You didn't redeem yourself. Jesus paid that price and he paid it in blood. You're not your own. We are his And what does Jesus do with the people he purchased for himself? He sets us apart that we might be the new temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God. What does God do with the people he's purchased himself? He makes his home in us. So in a world that tries to minimize the significance of your body, Jesus elevates it to the place of highest honor. Highest honor. And understand that, I want you to think about the old temple and the holy of holies, the sacredness of that place. You go into the Old Testament, you'll see that the high priest was allowed to enter the holy of holies once a year to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. Once a year, one man. And even then, he couldn't just walk in. It's the holy of holies. And so he had to ritually cleanse himself and put on this special outfit He didn't bring incense in with him so that it would shroud his vision. He might not see Yahweh face to face. He's doing all this stuff to prepare himself for the manifest presence of God. And people of Israel knew that if a sinful person just tried to walk into the Holy of Holies, that it was going to be bad, that they would have just died. You don't do that. You don't walk flippantly into the manifest presence of God as a sinful human being. You just die. And they knew that for a fact. That's why they tie a rope around the high priest's waist just before he entered the inner sanctum. So if anything went wrong and the Lord deemed him unclean or unworthy for whatever reason and he died, they'd actually have a way 
of getting his body out. That's how serious the manifest presence of God is. That's the sacredness of the Holy of Holies. It was the most sacred and significant place on the face of the planet. And here Paul is saying, because of what Jesus has done, that's now you. That's you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The most high God dwells in you. And I don't think that we really understand how incredible that is. When you stop and actually think about it, that's wild. We were lost. We were drowning in sin, and yet we stand here today pure and holy, the dwelling place of the Most High King. There is no greater change, no greater redemption. It's the significance that Jesus has placed on your body. So glorify God with your bodies. I want to wrap up this morning with a question. That's exactly what Paul finishes with, is the call to glorify God with our bodies. But I wonder, what does it mean for us to walk in obedience, to, to flee from sexual immorality in such a way that it lifts up the name of Jesus? I'll tell you what doesn't bring him, judging submission. Someone who does the right thing but actually doesn't want to. It's a terrible witness. It does nothing to lift up the name of Jesus. You can do the right thing out of fear. You can do it to impress someone, some kind of social credit that people might celebrate you. There's a ton of reasons why you might do the right thing and yet not glorify God, which means that Paul is pointing to us to something more so what does it look like to flee from sexual immorality in such a way that people look at you in the context of your life and your faith and are amazed by how satisfied you are in Christ that you might joyously say, no, no I don't want to go that way. I believe that Jesus has more for me than that. And you might think that's ridiculous, but that's exactly what we see in the life of Jesus. He is the example of what humanity could and should be. No one has lived a more fulfilled and fruitful life, and yet he lived it as a single celibate man. That says to me that despite what our culture would have us believe, sex is not the pinnacle of human experience. I don't want you to mishear me. I'm not saying that sex is bad. It isn't. It's a good gift from God. It's incredibly important for a healthy marriage. But Jesus proved to us once and for all that you don't need to be sexually active to live a complete or full life. You're actually asking sex to do something that only God can because our bodies were made for the Lord and the Lord for our bodies. Now I want to finish with two things. Number one, Sam, Sam Albury speaks with a lot of power into this space. If you want to research this more, go check him out. Sam Albury says this, and I think it's incredibly important. He says, if marriage paints the picture of the gospel, singleness declares the sufficiency of the gospel. 
If marriage paints the picture of the gospel, that union, that coming together, then singleness declares the sufficiency of the gospel, that Jesus really does satisfy. I'm not saying that celibacy is easy. What I am saying is that joyous obedience makes a prophetic statement to a world drowning in sexuality that Jesus is better, he's greater. And that's powerful. That's not insignificant. It's a unique ministry to those who are single. The second thing I want to leave you with is a verse from Jeremiah chapter 2. It says this, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I think that sums up so much of our world's approach to sexuality. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and carved out systems for themselves, broken systems that can hold no water. Church, Jesus is greater. He is the fountain of living water. I'm not telling you that this is calling us to try harder. That's not what Paul is saying. He's calling us to run to Jesus. That we might be so swept up in the blessing and the life that's found in him that we'd flee sexual immorality and we'd do it joyously. And so doing make a prophetic and powerful statement to our world that Jesus is better. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. And we know that all of this is built on the reality of your love, your great love for us. You are steadfast and faithful. You are for us, always working for our good. You're trustworthy. And because you're trustworthy, we can step into this. We lift up the name of Jesus in this place. We know, Father, we don't always get this right, that we are so easily distracted. And so we pray, Jesus, for where we as the church have failed and have not shone, have not lived out your plan for sex and relationship, not evidenced his goodness to the world around us. Jesus, forgive us. We won't do this perfectly, but we pray, Jesus, that you would help us to commit ourselves, that we would turn and run to you. And in so doing, Father, I pray that you would display your goodness afresh. Show us your goodness. Show us the depth of love that you have for us. Lead us into life. And as you do that, we pray, Jesus, that it would shine, not because of anything that we're doing, but because what you're doing in us, that we would shine. And this we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.